Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, December the 26th, 2022. It is currently 1116 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, if you've been going to church for any length of time, and if you talk to Christians, maybe in a small group, in a Sunday school class, maybe just talking to people in church, maybe if you, even if you ask your pastor, give me the number one key to interpreting the scriptures correctly. How do I interpret the scriptures? Give me the number one hermeneutical principle. Over and over and over, you will hear Christians say, you interpret scripture with scripture. You compare scripture with scripture. That is the number one way to interpret the Bible. That's the key way that will help you, that will protect you. Interpret scripture with scripture. And that sounds so good, but I'm often curious of how the average person, when they hear that, okay, compare scripture with scripture. Got it. I wonder how they really hear that in their mind, because what I constantly see is Christians just taking some random scripture here, connecting it to another random scripture, and say, look, I compared scripture with scripture. Look what I came up with. And I'll be like, well, wait, wait a minute. How did you connect that to that? Like, what? why, why did you connect that? Well, they're in the Bible. I'm supposed to compare scripture with scripture. So I compared it with that. It's got it's got a similar phrase. It's it's got a similar word. I, like I, I I don't know. Like sometimes I I'm baffled. I'm, I'm just kind of looking at it like, uh, wait a minute. It's almost like looking at a puzzle and you're like, uh, I I I don't think that piece goes with this puzzle. I think you took it from another puzzle, and, and you and you're just trying to make the piece fit. It doesn't work. And and when they put the puzzle together, you're like, look, you're what are these pieces? These pieces don't, these pieces go to a different puzzle. What, what did you just do? And, and it, it's sometimes, it's frustrating because when you try to explain, I don't think you can just connect that. People were like, you just, they will look at you like almost worried about you. You don't know. You're supposed to compare scripture with scripture. And I'm like, don't you know, you can't just randomly choose things and throw them together. I, I, I don't know. Can't like, we have to talk about this. So today we're going to have, uh, well, I'm going to give you an example of where someone took something from Judges chapter four, connected it to Genesis, and then from Genesis connected it to Jesus. And I was like, what? And, and it was, it was around what? 2.33 AM. I was listening to Redeemer Broadcasting, which a lot of times I listen to overnight. And if you don't have, you should download the Redeemer Broadcasting uh, radio app and listen to them. I really love the radio station, but there's sometimes they will play something out. It leaves me a little bit baffled. And so last night, 2.33 AM, I can't remember what time they played a little segment. It's only like three or four minutes long. And I was like, wait, they just connected her to Genesis, to Jesus? I'm like, how did this just happen? So I immediately grabbed my iPad, wrote a note like, hey, when you wake up in the morning, as soon as you can get to the studio, you need we need to talk about this. So I found the audio. I've got it all queued up. Let, let's do this. If you have a Bible and if you can, Judges chapter four, the book of Judges chapter four. All right. So somehow they go from Judges to Genesis to Jesus. And I'm, I'm like, 
I don't know. I don't know. So I, I, I am going to question this and I'm going to present this as a kind of a hermeneutical hypothesis. Like, hey, this is what I heard. Now I'm going to present it to all of us. And then hopefully today you'll do a little bit of work on this and you'll be, we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, we're still, we're working on Matthew 14 this week for the Bible study exercise. And someone sent me a fascinating email about Matthew chapter 14. We're going to, we're going to work on that. We're going to do a lot. It looks like today, this today at least may turn into a lot of hermeneutical exercises. Uh, I, I never know where this podcast is going. That's what I love about it so much because, well, we can talk about anything, but here we go. Are you ready? Judges chapter four and verse 18. And, and you'll note the name J-A-E-L. Okay, and J-A-E-L. The reason I'm spelling it out is it depends on who you listen to, right? If you if you grab uh, some uh, audio Bibles, they will say J-A-E-L, right? But some will say Y-A-E-L. They, they, they drop the J and they say there's no J sound. It's a Y sound. So they'll say Y-A-E-L, which I just think, well, you, we, we could have our own interesting conversation about that. But most audio Bibles read it as J-A-E-L. But and Jael went out to met to to meet Sesera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And what and when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. So you have Jael, right? This woman, she went out to meet Sesera, right? And she said unto him, Hey, turn in, my lord, don't be afraid, fear not. And she, he comes into her tent and he, she covers him with a mantle. Now, the situation doesn't end in a very pleasant way. It ends in a very violent, violent way. But what happened in this segment on Christian Radio, they took Jael, connected this entire narrative to Genesis, and then from Genesis, they got to Jesus. And I'm going to let you listen to them explain the connection, and, 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 and listen, you may go, oh, that is fascinating, or you may be going, ooh, that would preach a good sermon, or ooh, that would, good, that would teach a good Sunday school lesson. But before we get all excited about how good it would preach or how good it was, would teach, we have to ask ourselves, are we just randomly connecting things together with no rhyme or reason? Again, comparing Scripture with Scripture doesn't mean you just take things just random verses and throw them together and say, look what I've come up with. That's no, 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 no. It's got to be a rhyme and reason when you're comparing this to this. Why? Like what, what, what's the connection between the two? How are you using this? So let's listen to what they did. I thought it was fascinating. Obviously it was fascinating enough for me to basically at three o'clock in the morning, two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, take note of it. And then obviously the first thing I, I'm doing today is talking about it. So here we go. This aired on Redeemer Broadcasting. Um, I'm not going to give you any more information. They're going to tell you everything. Here we go. Listen carefully. Jael, Jesus, or Jael, Genesis, and Jesus. Let's see how this all supposedly works together. I'm Johnny talking today about one of my favorite women in the Bible. Okay, so there are many women in the Word of God who inspire me. I mean, who doesn't love the story of Esther, right? And every year when Ken and I do our Through the Bible reading, we always look forward to the book of Ruth. Now there's a woman of faith, right? I think Esther and Ruth are remarkable in that they foreshadow the coming of Jesus Christ, just like Moses and King David did. But stop right here. Now, I understand. 
I understand. It is like built into the evangelical mind because this has been said over and over and over again. And I, I challenge this hypothesis. I challenge it. I know whenever I do this, Christians lose their mind on me and act like that I've lost, that I've lost it and that I'm confused. But there is a, the, the basic idea, the basic theory, the basic hypothesis that's just built into the minds of the evangelical world is that every scripture, every scripture points to Jesus. And I challenge that. I question that. I think Jesus can be found throughout the Old Testament and things do point to him. But here's what I would always say before. Here's here's kind of the rule of thumb. All right. If I'm going to say this verse points to Jesus, the first thing I'm going to ask, is there anything in the New Testament that takes this Old Testament verse? So if I'm reading the Old Testament, I'm like, ooh, I think this points to Jesus. I'm going to go look in the New Testament. This is where comparing scripture with scripture and see if I can find anything in the New Testament that takes this verse, quotes this verse, refers to this verse, and clearly applies it to Jesus. Now, if I find something in the New Testament that clearly quotes it, refers to it, and applies it to Jesus, then the debate is over, right? Clearly, in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as our Passover lamb. Okay, so now I can see Passover and I can see Jesus because the New Testament absolutely connects the two. If there's a direct connection, no question. Now, what do we do if the New Testament does not do that? It doesn't mention it. It doesn't do anything. Well, you've got to be very careful because people will just see anything in the Old Testament and say, and and you'll see this in devotional books, Bible handbooks, all over the place. How do we see Jesus in this passage? And sometimes I'll be like, whoa, wait, how did you just find Jesus there? You know why you found Jesus there? Because you started with the presupposition that Jesus has to be found in it. So you forced him into the text. And that is not hermeneutics. That is that. Well, I guess you could call it bad hermeneutics. No, you read the text. What is this text saying by the words that are being used? How would it have been understood by the people at the time? Who was it written to? What was its original purpose? You can't say its original purpose was to point to Jesus. And I know everyone goes to when Jesus started in Moses and the prophets and pointed out all the things concerning him. It doesn't say that every single thing and every single book was about him because it would have taken him forever to go through every verse and say, this is, this was about me. No, he went to the specific sections that were about him. I don't know how we, we have so obliterated the concept. There are things in Leviticus that I'm like, I don't know what in the world is happening here, right? And I'm, oh, Jesus is in it. And people will come up with what they think is such a brilliant correlation between it and Jesus. It may sound good. It may preach good. But this is so important when it comes to hermeneutics. Just because something sounds good, just because something preaches good, doesn't mean it sound hermeneutics. It just means it's clever. It just means it's a great sermon. It just means you've put together a great speech that may be intriguing, that may put people on the edge of their seats, but it may actually be obliterating the actual meaning of the text. So she just immediately like, these all point to Jesus. Well, maybe they do. Maybe they don't. You have to be extremely careful when you say that, that you've got clear justification. The first thing you have to do is, Does the New Testament mention it and refer to it and apply it? If it does, debate solved. If it doesn't, 
who's giving you the license to say that's about Jesus? So I, that, that I'm just, I'm just going to be very, I, I, I'm just going to challenge it. I don't think every single verse is about Jesus. And to say that, I think destroys the actual meaning of the text. I really do. I think, I think when you do that, you, you hurt the meaning of the Bible. I, I really do. I, because no, we just, we can't do that. All right. So just, so you already hear right there, kind of her, you can kind of hear her mindset that, that already she's going into the old Testament going, this is all about Jesus. So she's going to find Jesus wherever she wants to find Jesus. The problem is, is he supposedly there? So now in Judges 4, Jael, bring a Sesera into the tent, um, is, and then it ends violently. Is Jesus in this? Let's see what she does. Always look forward to the book of Ruth. Now there's a woman of faith, right? I think Esther and Ruth are remarkable in that they foreshadow the coming of Jesus Christ, just like Moses and King David did. But... There is another woman in the Bible who is an amazement to Ken and me. And every year when we read through the Bible and we get to Judges chapter 4, we just love going deeper into her story. It's the story of Yael. Okay, stop right here. So whenever they get to Judges 4, they want to go deeper into the story. Now, I'm all for going deeper. Now, there's a thing between going deeper into the story... (laughs) And going where the story doesn't go, all right? Now, please note, she didn't say Jael. She said Yael. So she changes the J to the Y sound, Yael. Again, most Bible reading, uh, 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 most audio Bibles say Jael. So just, it's interesting, but okay. We could have that conversation just so that if you hear someone say Yael or Jael, that they're referring to the same person. And again, we could get into that whole discussion. Jehovah, Yehovah. All right. Yeah, we could, we could get into all of that. So uh, let's let's see how she, though, I'm not so worried about how she says the name or who says the name which way. I'm not here to get into that. I just want you, I, want, I wanted to at least acknowledge that. I want to know how Yael, Jael, gets connected to Genesis and then to Jesus. That's spelled J-A-E-L. Now, let me give you some background on Yael. The story begins with a fierce battle between the Canaanites and the Israelites The Canaanite army was led by a commander named Sisera. Now, there was a downpour the night before the battle, which made the ground muddy. This meant that the iron chariots of the Canaanites got stuck in the mud. So, now, the Israelites had the chance to roundly defeat their enemy. But Sisera fled the scene. He escaped, hiding out on the plain among a group of nomads. But there, a woman named Yael welcomed Sisera into her tent. She had a good reason for doing so because she hated the Canaanites. They had been harshly oppressing her people. And for that, Yael sympathized with Israel. So, Yael knew all about this man in her tent. Here she had a ranking Canaanite commander right there under her canvas roof. Now, stop right here, okay? Now, obviously, Jael, Yael, look at what she says, though. (laughs) All right, nothing like starting to cough when you get ready to talk. Judges chapter 4, verse 18. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my Lord, turn in to me, fear not. Now, we could ask, if you want to go deeper into the story, if you really want to go deeper into the story, we could ask a very important question right here. 
Is this deceit? And is this deceit justified? Is deceit ever justified? Is it, is it, is it okay for her to basically say, fear not, when clearly she's lying? She's trying to ease his concern and his anxiety. Is it ever wrong to use deceit, let's say, in a time of battle, in a time of war? When, when is deceit allowed? When is it justified? Now, if you're not careful, you end up into a very relativistic idea of wrong and right, right? Well, in this situation, it's wrong, but in this situation, it's right. It becomes relativistic. It becomes uh, subjective. And we typically, as Christians, we are against relativism. We don't want a relativistic idea. We want it to be very objective, not subjective. So is she right or wrong to do this? Now, remember, the one thing about reading the Old Testament, and this is very important, is that the Old Testament... In many cases, this is very important, just describes what happens. It doesn't necessarily offer any judgment. It just says, here's what happened. The, 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 the te- sometimes the story doesn't say whether it's right or whether it's wrong. It just says, here's the description. And then we come along and do all the things that we tend to do with it. So she wants to go store- deeper into the story of Yael. Jael, well, what do you do with that? Because when you see how the story ends... <laughs> Clearly, he had, he had good reasons to be fearful. He had good reasons to be worried. But, uh, well, he's not, he's never going to wake up to find that out. All right, here, here we go. Now, Sisera warned Yael not to divulge his presence. But when he fell asleep under a blanket, she had also given him some warm milk. Yael quietly sneaked up on Sisera with a spike and a mallet in her hand. She drove the tent peg through Sisera's temple and deep into the ground while he was sleeping, killing him instantly. Okay, there you go. So she she deceives, she does everything, he gets sleep, she sneaks up, takes a hammer and, a, and basically a tent peg and boom, right through his head, into the ground. Horrible story, violent story. Now, is this right? Is this wrong? Well, first of all, we need to remember it's the book of Judges, right? It's the book of Judges. And the one thing you know about the moral climate of the book of Judges is everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. So that's the general moral climate of the book, correct? So I think that that's, to me, that's the more fascinating part of this story is, so is this right? How do we understand this? How do we judge this? Should we even judge this? Clearly, it's descriptive. I don't think it's prescribing what we're supposed to do. It's not prescribing. It's de- describing, right? I, I think we can all agree there. Well, let's see now how, how we're going to get this. Jael, a, a, a hammer, a tent peg, basically, driven through a man's head. How do you get from that to Genesis to Jesus? Oh, here we go. I hope you're ready. This is this is fascinating. Here we go. Okay. That sounds pretty gruesome, right? <laughs> sure it does. But it has a powerful meaning. I mean, listen to this. Dr. David. Okay. Now she says, wait, it has a powerful meaning. Oh, does it? Now, I'm always fascinated. Okay. How, how did you derive that this has a powerful meaning? Immediately what she goes to. It's not to scripture. She's going to go to basically what someone has written, a commentary, right? Here we go. Listen to this. Dr. David Ellison, 
at Irish Baptist College shows how this particular act, the killing of an enemy by driving the stake through his head, explains how this is an amazing parallel of Genesis chapter 3. Okay, now someone else has said this is an amazing parallel to Genesis chapter 3. And I bet you can guess where they're going, right? Oh, come on. You know where they're going. So somehow we go from Jael driving a tent peg through someone's head to Genesis chapter 3. Again, this preach is so good. This sounds so good. This sounds so good. Genesis chapter 3, you know where we're going. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. Now, is there, is there any hermeneutical justification for drawing the correlation, the connection between Genesis 3.15 and Judges 4? See, where does she drive the uh, stake through his head? Uh, ju- Judges 4.21. Well, what would be your connection? Now, the, some people say, this is comparing Scripture with Scripture. I, I don't know. I don't know. Let's see what else they go on to say. Because we, now we got to get it to Jesus. Verse 15, where God promises that one day the serpent's head would be crushed. Not injured, not simply harmed. Uh-uh. Genesis foreshadows the day the devil will have his head crushed, defeated, instantly killed, never to rise again. Hallelujah. It'll be gruesome. You know what? But it'll be glorious. A glorious triumph over our enemy. And so, can you see how Yael's actions perfectly foreshadow Jesus Christ who crushed the head of Satan himself, just like Sisera's? And it happened on Mount Calvary, didn't it? The devil may have inspired a stake to be driven through the feet of Jesus, but Jesus drove a stake through Satan's head. And friend, this is why I love reading through the Bible every year with Ken. We come across these stories and they thrill us. So please join Ken and me in reading through the whole Bible next year. There you have it. Now they go on to talk about their Bible reading plan. They love reading these stories because they thrill them. They love reading these stories because clearly they can find Jael drives a tent peg through some guy's head. Sisera through his head kills him that paints that that draws them back to Genesis right back to Genesis let me read it again I gotta make sure I get this to Genesis chapter 3 and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel Right Then they go from that going, okay, hey, it's not just going to, as I know the King James says, bruise thy head. It's not just going to bruise it. It's going to crush it. It's going to kill it. Satan is going to be put down. And so when did this happen? Well, at Mount Calvary, right? Satan, as they said, drove a tent peg through the hill of Jesus. But Jesus drove a tent peg through the head of Satan and destroyed him. And Jael and Judges 4 Pictures it, predicts it in a symbolic way. I don't, I don't know how you, I don't, how do you come to that conclusion? Is there any justification for that? That's what I want to present to you today because this is a challenge. Because too many times Christians who just all they're told is compare scripture with scripture, they just take out, they just take off into the Bible 
And they just start grabbing one thing from another thing and just throwing it together. And sometimes I'm a little baffled by how they do this. What would be your justification and drawing a correlation between all of that? What would be your justification for doing that? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I am going to do something. I am going to do something here. I'm going to, I'm going to, it would be interested to see. I'm interested to see, right? Uh, give me one second here. I'm going to look. I'm going to type in judges. If I can type correctly, judges four, 21. All right. There's Jael. Let's see here. I'm going to pull up commentaries and just see if any of them do, do this. Any of them do this. All right. She pick, picks up picks up a tent peg and a hammer quietly to him while he lays fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his the temple into the ground and he died. All right. Let's see here. All right. Uh, okay. Nobody nobody draws a correlation in that one. Okay. See here. No, nothing. Okay. No commentary here draws any correlation at all. Okay. That's so no, no, no commentary so far. Uh, okay. Here we go. Nope, nothing there. Nothing there. Nothing there. I'm looking for anyone to to do anything here. Nothing there. Okay. Uh, Barnes notes on the Bible is interesting. They say, if we can overlook the treachery and violence, which belong to the morals of the age. So, so they, they, they do go with, uh, what I would like to me, when I read that, I'd be like, okay, what Jell's doing here? How do we understand this? And it, it fits the morals of, 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 of judges that they, they go at it from that. They don't draw it to Jesus or to Genesis. All right. Um, I'm looking at another commentary. They don't do anything. All right, let's see here. Uh, okay, they don't seem to do, they don't, they don't even really focus on Jael. Let's see. Okay, it says here, okay. Um, what shall we judge of this act of Jael's? It is a difficult question and necessary to be determined because on the one hand, there seems to be gross and a horrid violation of all the laws of hospitality and friendship and of the peace which was established between Caesarea and her. And on the other side, the fact that hers is applauded and commended in Deborah's song, Judges 5.24. And some who make it their business to pick quarrels with the Holy Scriptures from hence take occasion to question and reject their divine authority for this very passage because it commends an act so contrary to all humanity and so great a breach of faith. See, that's what, see, for me, that's what I would have focused on. Wait, how, is this even right? This seems horrible. That, so the commentary seemed to be more interested in that question. None of them is like, no, 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 this picture's Jesus, <laughs> okay? Uh, all right, so nothing there. All right, let's see here. 
Okay, uh, nothing there. So not one commentary, not one commentary even comes close to doing that. Not one commentary. No commentaries were like, look, don't you see Jesus here? Don't you see Genesis here? Like, how, how did, how do you do this? So I don't know what, what, what's your thoughts on this today? I, I just wanted to at least present it. I want to just present this kind of a hermeneutical, again, I'm going to call it a hermeneutical hypothesis. And I'm going to at least present it and say, have you ever heard a sermon that takes Jael driving a tent peg through someone's head, go, takes that, runs to Genesis, and from Genesis runs to Mount Calvary and runs to Jesus? And says, see what Jael did? It pictured, it prefigured, it pointed to what Jesus was going to do to Satan on Mount Calvary. I just think that that is a far, far reach. And it once again demonstrates the danger of just telling people, Compare scripture with scripture. <laughs> There's got to be rhyme and reason why you're connecting things together. You've got, and sometimes it'll be like, I, I'm just sometimes baffled by this. So I wanted to at least present this because I've been thinking about it throughout the night and morning, and I'm, I'm still a little perplexed. I, like it, when I, if when I was younger, I would have been like, oh, I've got this. And I would have worked it out. I would have added some more scriptures and I would have, and I would have, and I would have basically turned it into a sermon and I would have preached it probably as like, look at this amazing thing that I found. People would have been like, wow, I've never seen that in the Bible. And I'd have been like, wow, yeah, because I'm smart, right? I look at, the, look at me. But now I'm, I, I don't care about how good the sermon is. I don't care about how well people think it's great or amazing. What I care about is being faithful to the text. And sometimes faithfulness to the text is a lot more boring. It's pretty, it's far more boring than sometimes putting these connections together that no one has ever seen. And you know why no one has ever seen them? There may be good reason for the fact no one has ever seen them. So today, I would love to get your thoughts. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Jael Cesara, tent peg, hammer, drove through his temple into the ground. He's dead. Now, can I take that, run to Genesis 3.15, and then from Genesis 3.15, jump all the way to Jesus and say Jael's actions prefigured, pointed to what Jesus was going to do to Satan on Mount Calvary. I've got, I've got doubts. I would love to get your thoughts. All right. Email me newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. I can't wait to see what kind of lively discussion this creates because uh, I think a lot of people will be like, oh, that's great. I love that. I'm going to use that Sunday. (laughs) Well, some of us are going to be like, wait, what just happened here? How did that occur? It'll be interesting to get the different uh, perspectives. But if you've heard a sermon that draws the same correlation, please send me the link to the sermon because we'll do a sermon review. Or if you've seen a commentary, or if you have some Christian book that draws the same correlation, take a screenshot of it. Because I would like to hear like a fuller justification for this drawing this parallel and drawing this connection. The only the only connection I can see is the tent peg went through his head and he died. And we got bruised the heel, bruised the head. Satan, uh, Satan's head, in a sense, was crushed under Jesus. But I, I mean, I don't, is that, I, I don't know if that's enough to draw, to, to draw a correlation between it. I, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm skeptical. 
right? I would rather be skeptical to be as faithful to the text as possible and then hold on to that skepticism until someone can convince me otherwise, right? So here's the question. Is Jael and this act, is it ever mentioned in the New Testament? And if it is mentioned in the New Testament, is it ever connected to Jesus? If it's not, well, then immediately I would say we have to be very careful because now we're trying to place something there that may not actually belong. All right. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. We'll be doing more live broadcasting throughout the day, but I wanted to start today with this, and uh, hopefully you'll find it to be beneficial. All right. God bless.